0: Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast. This one, a weekend edition of The Pod. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you. we got a lot to get into. We've got some Alabama men's basketball following the Crimson Tide's trip to Norman as a part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. At least we think Alabama made the trip. It didn't really show up on the scoreboard Saturday afternoon at the Lloyd Noble Center, did it? Alabama, for the first time in the month of January, loses a game. Hey, if you're going to lose a game... You might as well lose by 20-plus, right? We'll get into some Alabama men's hoop. We'll try to come up with some silver linings from the performance and really this team in general as it moves into the month of February. We'll have some football talk as well. We're going to get position-specific a little bit later in the podcast. We're going to look at the running back position as it sits at Alabama Heading into the month of February. Look, I don't have any coordinator scoop for you, unfortunately. I will say there is good news if you're an Alabama fan, and that's that Nick Saban's still recruiting like he's going to be around for a while. He had a junior day event on campus at Alabama this weekend. Uh, Nick is still fully utilizing the windows he has available to him, not just for closing out the 2023 classes. You heard from Tim Watts, our site publisher and recruiting editor here on the podcast earlier in the week. Probably not going to be a very busy, if any, business done for Alabama on the recruiting front coming up with the late National Signing Day on Wednesday. But that doesn't mean Nick Saban isn't, again, fully taking advantage of this window that he has to work with for guys in the 2024 2025 maybe even 2026 who knows when you're talking about nick saban so if nick saban is using this time to work prospects for classes still two or three years down the road that's about as good of an update as an alabama fan can get when it comes to football isn't it wasn't a good update for the Alabama men's basketball team out at Oklahoma on Saturday. Hey, all the credit in the world to Oklahoma because this was a team that came stumbling into the game on Saturday on a three-game losing streak, had just been embarrassed on the road midweek at TCU. We're talking about a loss at TCU similar to what OU put on Alabama on Saturday. So some similarities there. Speaking of TCU, they essentially did the Horn Frogs what OU did to Alabama, except it was back in a secret scrimmage scenario in the preseason. There was a players-only meeting after that scrimmage performance for Alabama back then. Might there be another one on the way after what we saw Saturday out in Norman? Look, it's on a coaching staff certainly to make adjustments and get the right people on the floor, but a performance like Saturday's by Alabama also goes back to the players taking some ownership and some accountability, and it seems like Alabama's players did that after the TCU scrimmage perhaps and there is precedent there that tells us and there's reason to think that even though it's a little bit of a different situation this is a team that's certainly been through the ringer not only in terms of the grind of a season but the horrific events of a couple weekends ago there in Tuscaloosa but there is something there that tells us this group has responded positively to a negative on-the-court situation back in the preseason. Again, though, first and foremost, you prop up the Sooners, because that was a must-win situation for OU as far as its postseason chances are concerned, and yeah, it wasn't a conference game for either team. It will be in the not-too-distant future, as we know, with OU and Texas set to join the SEC in the not-too-distant future. But for Oklahoma, as far as its resume, assuming it can get some work done in the Big 12 moving forward because the Sooners still sit, even with that win, still 2-6 and six in the league. And this was an Oklahoma team that even with the struggles it had had of late, as we'd written about there at BamaOnline.com on Friday, six losses in the toughest league in the country. That's the Big 12 right now. And four of those six losses had come by four points or fewer. So a capable team, I don't think anybody saw really what happened on Saturday coming. And I know Alabama had shown some signs of struggling or maybe feeling the effects of a season to this point, even in the midweek win over Mississippi State. But something Alabama did in that game, couple of things Alabama did in that game against Mississippi State, defend, at least for a half, and then take advantage of the free throw line when it got opportunities. It didn't either of those. So despite what you're going to continue to hear about three-point struggles, and yes, Alabama struggled from the three-point line, making just six of 22 shots, on Saturday in the loss. A lot of this still goes back to defense and also the ability to knock down free throws and get to the free throw line at a high rate. Alabama 13-21 of from the free throw line didn't get in a defensive stance and just flat out guard people on Saturday. There's no other way to put it. I know that look, I don't get into banging on commentators too much. Carl Ravitch, Jimmy Dykes on Saturday on the call for... ESPN. I'm actually a fan of Jimmy Dykes. Always have been. Always feel like I'm both entertained and informed. I learn something typically by listening to Jimmy Dykes. That's why I was disappointed on Saturday how he kind of hitched his wagon to Ravitch when Ravitch dialed up the old, well... If they don't make their threes, they don't win. Yeah, there have been seasons in which, under Nate Oates, including just last year, where that was very much the case. That isn't the case with this team, and that certainly wasn't Alabama's biggest issue on Saturday. Alabama had plenty of issues, but it started with a lack of physical and mental engagement against a veteran team in a desperate situation playing on its home floor. That's where it all started, and Oklahoma took full advantage of that. This is a team with a guy like Grant Sherfield, as you saw, 30 points uh, in the win. Hill with 26 of his own. You know, OU shot 57.6% from the field and 69% from three, 84% from the free throw line. Going to win a lot of games when you do that, and you credit OU at the same time. It's hard for Nate Oates to preach blue-collar basketball, when his team is giving it up as easily as it did on Saturday. I'm sure that's the thing that absolutely sticks in the crawl of Nate the most. It's that in general. Really, over the last two games, Alabama hasn't done that either enough or it hasn't done it at all. And that was the case. The latter was more the case on Saturday at Oklahoma, so OU gets it done, 93-69, to 69, looking for some silver linings here, and it's tough to find them, Alabama did have five guys in double figures, as crazy as that may sound, but too much fouling, uh, too much of a lack of awareness, and with that, an Oklahoma team that had not scored 60 or more points in its three-game losing streak coming into the game had 50 At the half. And look, the home court means a lot. There's no doubt about that. You look at those early games in the SEC Big 12 Challenge on Saturday. You had West Virginia holding serve against Auburn up in Morgantown. You had Missouri with an upset win over a ranked team in Iowa State there in Como. So Alabama walked into a bit of a hornet's nest, but again, I don't think this is a game if you're Nate Oates. There are games that you take and you just kind of take the tape and burn it or throw it in the trash can. I don't think this is one of those games because, again, you had seen signs of this against Mississippi State. You come back in the second half, you do the kind of things that Nate talks about and how he wants his program built upon, and then immediately turn around and do none of that against Oklahoma so I think you reinforce what happened in Norman because a couple of things the schedule is about to ramp up but it's really about two weeks away from taking full flight in the month of February you still get Vanderbilt coming up midweek at home and Vanderbilt's capable of pushing you on a good night Um, then you go to LSU which is not a you know I'm not sure if LSU is the worst team in the SEC, but I'm pretty sure LSU is the worst team west of the Mississippi in the SEC. Then you get Florida at home midweek the week after this, and that can be a problematic game if Florida can get you into one of those kind of games where you're in the 60s. And I would have told you, look, The only way Oklahoma's going to win this game is if it's a game in the 60s. Well, I was wrong because OU, again, had damn near 60 points at the half. And the second half, I thought Nate tried to switch some things up. You know, Alabama comes out, opens the second half with a lineup of girly, clowny, Miller, Sears, and Ryland Griffin, and Alabama cuts it to eleven. But you had the missed layup by Dominic Welch coming out of that first media timeout of the second half, and OU immediately goes down and pushes it back to fifteen. And that was pretty much the ball game. Alabama got beat for just about every contested ball and on every shot. And Sherfield is the real deal. He's a veteran scorer who is capable of making you look bad. He did that to multiple Alabama defenders on Saturday. Again, though. This could prove to be a positive in that the reinforcement should be there, that if you aren't going to strain enough to get in a defensive stance and guard first and foremost, it can get ugly against some upcoming teams on the schedule. Put it this way, if you don't strain against a team like Tennessee, especially on Tennessee's home court, It's going to be a long day. The good news for Alabama, still time to get things right between now and then, beginning with that visit from Vanderbilt. And you also don't have to worry about any of the number one talk for the time being. That goes away now with that type of loss. You don't like it in terms of how it could impact you potentially in the way of long-term effects extending to perhaps your seeding on Selection Sunday at some point down the road. And there is unquestionably going to be an intensification of that narrative of, well, This is Alabama. This is what's going to happen. They can't handle success. Well, they handled it for pretty much the whole damn month. This is still a non-conference loss. And yes, it came against a 2-6 and team from the top conference in college basketball. But it's still a team that has not lost within its own league. And whereas comparisons will be made to a year ago now, well, they got that win against Gonzaga in December, and from that point forward, they never were the same. This team has been really, really good in January. This does not change that. What you'll be most interested in is to see the level of engagement, starting from the mental side of things, that Alabama comes out with against Vanderbilt coming up this week in the midweek matchup. I think that'll tell you a lot. I think there's going to be that narrative out there that, look, this is a team that starts three freshmen. Maybe they're hitting the wall. And here's the thing about college basketball. Young, veteran, you name it, teams at certain points in the season hit a bit of a wall. Look at UConn right now for more on that. Houston of late hasn't been the same team as we saw early in the season. This isn't exclusive to Alabama here in the last couple of games. But there is some fairness to at least asking the question because we have now seen it for a couple of games in a row. And there's no question the most intriguing aspect, the most intriguing storylines for this team in the immediate future are going to be how they work through this. One other thing before we move on to football. Has Alabama achieved the very rare feat, the very rare duo of court and field storming status following losses by its men's basketball and football teams, I'm trying to think of some other places that can stake that claim right now. Ohio State? No. Clemson? No. Georgia? No. TCU? No. Not yet. Might be getting close, actually, when you think about the Horn Frogs and those two sports. But that's about it. So there you go, Alabama fans. There's your silverest of silver linings following that performance from the Crimson Tide on Saturday. All right, so let's get position-specific once again as we continue to move through the offseason today. We'll look at the current state of the Alabama running back position, and that's taking into account that you're losing a couple of key pieces, certainly Jameer Gibbs in a one-and-done with the Crimson Tide after transferring over from Georgia Tech, led Alabama in rushing. He's off to the NFL, an explosive player, no doubt about it. An important contributor also, and Trey Sanders has moved on to TCU via the transfer portal still a positive outlook for an area that welcomes back three players who provided reasons for optimism moving forward and it starts with jace mcclellan jace averaged 5.9 yards per carry on his way to rushing for 655 yards and seven touchdowns in 2022 i think it's also important to note that this is a guy who also averaged more than 12 yards per reception and added three more scores as a receiver in 2022 so over 800 scrimmage yards and 10 total TDs for a guy coming off an ACL injury? Sustained in October of 2021. I think if I would have put those numbers in front of you back in August and said, this is going to be the production from scrimmage for Jace McClellan during the upcoming season, I think a lot of Alabama fans would have wholeheartedly accepted that. And it's just a continued sense of amazement when we look at these ACL injuries and not just the time in which guys are now getting cleared, the reduced window of time that it seems to take, the time in which they're back to performing at a very high level not just jace mcclellan not just roydell williams from the alabama running back perspective but look at javon quinterly for the alabama men's basketball team this is a guy who had an acl back in march of 2021 and there he was really early in the season back on the floor for alabama and nate Oates, and especially the last couple weeks just playing at a really really high level so when you think about jace and the explosive plays that you got from him in 2022 it's reasonable think he can provide even more in 2023 and really though it's not explosive plays that concern you as much about this group really when you think about it what the 2022 group had the 2021 group could have used more of and really vice versa and when I say that I mean in 2022 you had those guys like Gibbs like McClellan that were capable of scoring from pretty much anywhere on the field in 2021 you had more of a grinder in Brian Robinson you needed more of a compliment I think both ways I think in 2021 man you think about that running back room and if you had jameer gibbs to go along with brian robinson yeah now you're talking about a one-two punch and then a year ago or in 2022 gibbs mcclellan explosive no doubt about it but could have used some more thump along the lines of a brian robinson so with short yardage and four minute offense and just more consistent from this group that would be a good thing and yes some of that goes back on the offensive line but there are times when backs need to get those extra three or four yards that aren't necessarily there and when you think about the 2022 offense and the explosive plays a lot of that came on the outside zone and perimeter runs that were very good to the Alabama offense last season need to have more balance though between those runs and some interior runs in 2023 and with the continued physical development McClellan will become more of a complete back. I don't think there's any doubt about that. In fact, we saw him do some good things later in the 2022 season between the tackles. So there's reason for optimism there. And again, in Jamarian Miller and Roydell Williams, there are a couple of guys capable of complimenting McClellan in a very nice way. Miller was more of a mop up time option as a true freshman. But even in that role, there were signs of this guy being a problem for defenses in the future. He had back to back games. in September, I think it was ULM and Vanderbilt when he carried 13 times for 114 yards and two touchdowns. And, you know, he's not the biggest back. You're thinking that during this offseason you're going to see him make some gains and maybe bulk a little bit and maybe a strength uh, from that perspective and perhaps even speed as well. But I can tell you this is an instinctive and decisive guy at the moment of truth. In other words, when it's time to put a foot in the ground and get downhill, Jamarian Miller doesn't waste a lot of time or movement. I'm not sure he's a four-four guy, but his initial burst, from what I can see, tells me his 20 is probably pretty damn good, and he also keeps his feet clean. What you don't see from Jamarian Miller, at least we have it in limited opportunities, is a guy who gets caught up in traffic or stumbles while making cuts. Very clean in his running style. As for Williams, like McClellan, his return from that ACL injury was very impressive, maybe even more so considering his occurred a month later in the 2021 season, Dan did McClellan's. And then there is the current recruiting class and the highly anticipated spring practice debut of Justice Haynes. And you watch Haynes during his senior season at Buford High School over there in Georgia. And what I saw was a polished, compact runner who presses the hole before using plus burst to strike for chunk runs. And similar to Jamarian Miller, I think, in some ways. Vision, instincts, those are evident. And he also understands how to use his offhand to keep defenders at arm's length. That's something that's really undervalued or not talked about enough, especially with young backs getting the ball in the right hand when running the football and then using that offhand with a stiff arm or to help create separation that leads to those extra yards that don't get talked about probably enough and look Haynes comes to Alabama fairly well versed in the passing game too so you look at his background and he also has some of that in the return game it's easy to think that this guy is going to be very involved in the mix in the not too distant future and if that again sounds a a lot like Jamarian Miller, what I'm describing there is because I think there are very much similarities in play. While Haynes is already enrolled at Alabama, Richard Young will join the room in June, another top four running back for the class of 2023. In a word, this guy is explosive. He operated from offensive sets in high school, whether it was offset, whether it was pistol, whether it was one-back formations that translate to what he'll work within at Alabama. Still some refinement to be done there with these young backs and young is an example of that probably more so in the passing game and off the ball but he obviously has that one cut running style that should serve him well at alabama So you think about the four backs Alabama is expected to have in play for spring drills and consider the summer arrival of Young, and it's easy to see why a guy like Emmanuel Henderson will likely be able to continue to work at wide receiver, where he seems to have a very bright future, by the way. And there's also some question about how the new offensive coordinator will fit in with this group. And look, whoever fills the role is going to be flush with talent at the running back position. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Not sure we'll see as much of the two back stuff as we did a year ago, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least some of that in 2023. And you can never have enough talented and ready backs, right? Last couple of years have underscored that point at Alabama. In 2021, you're forced to comp- a wide receiver and a linebacker late in the regular season and even by the time November of last season rolled around Gibbs and McClellan were feeling the effects of a workload that saw them combined for 320 offensive touches and that's before pass pro is taken into account something that should never be discounted when considering the pecking order at Alabama and really that's where separation might take place between some of these guys in the coming months off the ball work understanding not only who to block but having a willingness to put your face in the fan when the blitz comes you got to not only be willing to do it but able to execute down in and down out and even with another mobile quarterback in play for Alabama pass pro and off the ball stuff is going to be very very important for these backs you want to know what will help with willingness and execution and an overall sense of urgency on a daily basis how about competition and having four or five guys capable of handling top three roles in the rotation should make position coach Rob Gillespie's job among the most enviable in all of college football. Speaking of willingness, we appreciate yours to stick your faces in the fan and join us here on another edition of the BOL podcast. Hopefully we executed at an acceptable level and proved capable and by the way if you haven't already, please subscribe rate and review the BAM online podcast. Anywhere you consume podcasts, you're going to find the BOL pod so if you would do any or all three of those things, we would greatly appreciate it. We're always going to bring our best as you know to come hang out with us at the Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. And until next time, thank you, and so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.